Where are we going? Welcome to this exclusive podcast produced by Spirit Watch Ministries that will show where life in our darkening times is now turning and how you can avoid the detours of deception through the hope of biblical truth. The Lord Jesus in Matthew 24 warned us over two millennia ago and how urgently we need to heed him now. Our host is Pastor Rafael Martinez, a seasoned Northwest Indiana-based minister, intercessor, and counter-cult apologist who will help you discern the journey of change we're all on as the last day of the last days now winds down. For more information, check out our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. Now. Here's Pastor Raphael. Hello, I'm Raphael Martinez, a minister within the Church of God Cleveland movement and the director of Spearwatch Ministries, a Christian outreach providing biblical discernment in a time of deception. Our podcast is called Where Are We Going? You see, the world's getting more and more complex, unpredictable, and troubling, and, and those are just the high points. <laughs> Our society is really going off the rails as we see it, and events in uh, Texas and Washington, D.C. are certainly reminding us of that once again. Uh, when you add into the social contracts all around us the powerful influences of cultism, uh, abusive religion, and the general spiritual chaos that's arisen as the Christian faith erodes and is abandoned today, it's no wonder that people are confused these days and that they ask that very question that we use to entitle our podcast. Where, they ask, are we going? Well, Spirit Watch Ministries produces these podcasts to provide solidly biblical answers to those kinds of questions, offering perspectives on our deceptive times of trouble you just won't find anywhere else. We've been seeking to provide answers about the kinds of cultism and deception that are all around that have made life that much more challenging. And we're glad you stopped in today, and we welcome all of our new listeners today. Uh, we hope you bookmark us and return again next week when we release our next podcast. They are generally released at midnight Saturday every week. Uh, it's easy to find them on the internet at our spiritwatch.org ministry website or on Facebook using the search term Spearwatch Ministries. Links to them will be on our homepage and on our Facebook page for easy access with just a couple of mouse clicks. So, so bookmark us and uh, share those links with friends, family, or your therapist, your dog groomer, and <laughs> just help us build our audience. Uh, we're now on Amazon, Spotify, and Google, and we are seeking new outlets wherever we can find them. So we appreciate your spreading the word, letting people know that uh, our podcast is currently available for download. On today's podcast, we're going to continue making our virtual studio a place where the voices of the victimized who survived the none-too-gentle mercies of the punitive side of the Zenos Christian Fellowship, now calling itself the Dwell Community Church of Columbus, Ohio, be heard. And I think that's an important thing to be done. It's, it's, it's actually vital that those who've been silent and oppressed for so long be given the chance to do such a thing. So we've been spending all of our podcast time the past couple of months providing an alternative perspective, shall we say, of what life is like in this movement. As we've discovered, Xenos slash Dwell likes to be reckoned to be on the cutting edge of Christian ministry and prides itself greatly over that. Uh, but what it really is is a cutthroat hothouse of anti-Christian manipulation where generations of young men and women have found themselves victims of a system of religion that has nothing to do with the Great Commission that Jesus called the Christian Church to engage our fallen world with. You know, I've been in the ministry for just under 40 years, and I've, I've never had a chance to really see this up close a personal place quite like Xenos. 
uh, their claims and their posturing about being the exclusive move of God in the final days of time are echoed by innumerable other dangerous movements like the International Church to Christ and the ironically self-titled Great Commission Churches that aim squarely at college students for new members. So Zenas Dwell is hardly original, even though it likes to pretend that it actually is. Uh, but its harm is as personal as a punch in the mouth. It has gotten away with its spiritual, emotional, and psychological cold-cocking of its very own people over 50 years with a silence that I just still don't understand. I, I can't understand how a city or church in a city can be so quiet in the presence of such evil. I, I have no other words to describe it, but, but, but an evil. Uh, but, but, but Dennis, Gary, no longer. I hope you're listening because I want you to know that the handwriting's on the wall and the podcast are going to continue to air. Uh, what I've also learned is that everyone in Xenos, uh, basically from, you know, from, from what we've been hearing and what we've been, what we've been talking to people about, Everyone in Zenos is called a leadership excellence and following their own unique discipling process. Now, now the Indians of the middle and the high school incubators that Zenos runs are meant to become chiefs within the Zenos uh, movement itself, so as to make the entire movement just this huge oiled machine of self-replication. And as we've been hearing, as I said, such leaders are created by Zenos to focus on growth, Growth at, at all costs, uh, but and it's actually a form of godliness that, as Scripture describes in Second Timothy three and five, as a form of godliness that actually denies the sovereign power of God. Because what you see in Zenos's operation is the hand of men hammering out an organization that follows men's traditions, that turns Christ's uh, very own uh, mission that He's called the church to into a cult of exploitation, all in His name. And um, I, and uh, there's still people in that horrible mix in that past, though, who, who paid a great price to seek the truth beyond those wombs. And, and there are leaders who still have consciences, and still and such, and such a person we're going to be speaking to today. And, and we've spoken to people like that all throughout, but 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 Oliver Long is a former Zenos leader in our virtual studio today, and and he's going to be sharing his own unique perspectives as someone within the uh, within the. Uh, the leadership ranks of that movement. And, and Jim, I want to welcome you to our podcast. Thanks for taking the time today. Oh, thank you for having me. I appreciate it, and I'm glad to be here. All right. I'm, I'm so glad that, that we referred to you, that you had uh, some things you wanted to say and get off your chest. And, and it's not, But it's not just that. I know you're not just here to beat your chest and, and, and you know, just sound horrible. I know you have a, a great burden and a great concern after we've shared about what's going on there. And, um, so apparently, you know, you know, I guess Zenos was was just, you know, hopefully winding out its merry way when we started our expose on it back in December, and and uh, ever since then things have just gotten hotter and hotter and hotter for them. Uh, what are your what are your impressions of the of the expose? What's been going on in the past few months uh, in, in Columbus with with the NBC programming and now the Daily mm-hmm. Beast? And, and, and I mean, what, what have you heard from the community? What, what, what's your impression? What's it's, going on? Yeah, it's been unbelievably eye opening to me. You know, I I felt like I had mentally and emotionally put this era behind myself years and years ago. And when the NBC article and uh, expose hit, you know, it, it kind of jarred me awake, um, jarred me back and, and reminded me of just a lot of, you know, memories from, from the time when I was in Xenos. Um, since then, there's been 
just an incredible amount of people that have come forward and uh, joined together and started telling their stories. And after every single story, it's insane how you look back on the, the times, similar times in your life with the eyes of an adult and really see what was going on uh, for what it was. Um, and I, I wouldn't be here today if it weren't for the uh, writers from the Daily Beast, if it weren't for the group Xenos, as it called, if it weren't for the NBC team, if it weren't for you and, and many other people that have gotten together over time. Yeah, and I appreciate that because, you know, I've known of, as, as, as I've said in the past, I've known of Xenos's aberrancy, uh, for lack of a better word, for a long time. But our own cult fighting, if we can use that rather clumsy word, our own contentions with, with Roman Fellowship and other movements have just really kept, kept us completely, you know, occupied elsewhere. But, you know, uh, but we've, we've really felt the release that kind of address other movements now and, and with the documentary series, we hope that eventually will come out. Uh, one of the first episodes we're doing will be on Xenos and, uh, that's mm-hmm. why we were, were involved. And so I'm just grateful to have a chance to finally, you know, come in and, and, and help to get to know and understand it and, and see how really, uh, how really dangerous it is and that, and that, there, and that there are so many people that need to truly, uh, truly hear more about it and, and get a chance to share their own stories and, and get healing. Uh, what, what have exactly. you, what, what's been, what's been, what have you been able to do or, or what have your other people doing, uh, to kind of get beyond it? I mean, once you leave a movement like, like Xenos, what, what happens? Uh, you've been just made a robot basically all your life. Yeah. There. And what do well, you the do? First, yeah. That's a good question. The first, the first thing that I've been able to do, um, and I kind of alluded to this a little bit earlier is just, just to understand that there was a problem, that there was something bad going on there, that there was um, just a bent on Christianity that was not healthy, and that there are things in my life that I, I need to work through and to get a handle on. So the first thing is kind of understanding that, that there's an issue, um, and no matter how you know long I try to put it behind me, how much time passes, you know, there, there's something that still needs to be looked at and focused on. And the second thing I've done is... Um, I've, I've gone to uh, counseling, I've gone to a psychiatrist and I've started to work through, you know, some of the issues that have, that have started to come up in my life, you know, and it's kind of been a perfect storm. Like I said, as, as more people come forward and I remember more stuff, it's, it's been more stuff to put on the table as, as it were, you know, with my psychiatrist and, and counselor and to say, Hey, let's look at this, you know, because I'm, you know, I'm still carrying this. I need to work through this. So professional help is key. Xenos doesn't have the capacity to offer professional help while you're in it. Um, they kind of got some pseudo counselors that really lead you down the wrong path and, you know, understanding that, you know, people can legitimately struggle with mental health issues, um, can legitimately struggle with trauma and, and need to work beyond those things is, is kind of taking me a while to get to, but, you know, just a step in my maturation, uh, and growth, yeah. you know, to, to be able to work through that. So one of the oh, first yes. things, so one of the first things you, I'm sorry, I, I was going to say one of the first things you said you, that's been really helpful you see is realize that you're not alone. 
This isn't your exactly. issue. I mean, and it's not your fault. Uh, you yes. were not the bad guy. Uh, you were you were in a you were a good person with good people who were in a bad situation. Yes, yes. Am I right? absolutely. Yeah, and I mean that was one of the things that I needed to realize is I was more depressed at that point in my life than I've ever been in in my life, and I kind of thought that was who I was, and I kind of thought that that was what walking with God was going to be like. You know that my experiences at Xenos of just abject loneliness and depression. Um, I I felt like those were part of the normal Christian experience. Mm. And Mm. unfortunately, you know, since then, I've realized that those, those aren't normal at all. Um, That's not what it's like to be walking with God. That's not what it's like to live, you know, uh, a really blessed life and to be right. you know, surrounded by people who love you. Um, it's, it's the antithesis of that right. and helping, you know, talking to other people and kind of reworking through some of the things that went on. Um, like I said, it has been, you know, paramount to, to getting through it. But yeah, understanding you're not alone, you know, it is it's huge. There right. are more people um, who have been impacted negatively by Xenos and there are currently people in Xenos right now. And that's, uh, that's a, that's a fact in the Columbus area. You know, we've got a group right now that has well over, um, or has around 500 people in it. That's only one of the, the groups. And there are obviously, um, we were just talking today. There are, we all know many, many, many people who need to hear about the group and need to get involved and, and need to have a place where they can be safe and feel like their voice is, is heard. So, you know, pro- probably one of the most damning indictments on the church is the fact that, you know, in the 20 years that I've been gone, um, their ministry has not expanded. They haven't been a light to the world. Um, if anything, the lists of transgressions and the list of destruction that they brought uh, on this community in Columbus has, yeah. has just uh, grown exponentially. Um, yeah. Not their yeah. growth, not their footprint, and not their uh, their ability to speak for God. Yeah. So, you know, they, they by by their own admission, when I when I was um, involved there, I remember Dennis talking about. You know, we were at Holden Beach. We we're on a basketball court, and he said, "You know, right now we fill up this area. Next year we'll fill up this area plus that area. Then it'll be three areas, and then that that is how we know that we're going to be successful. That's how we know that we're going to be multiplying ourselves. That's how we know we're going to become the church movement that I believe God wants us to be. And the church hasn't grown since that point." Um, so by their own standard, yeah. at that point, they're, they're, they're failure. Yeah. They have not been successful and they need to look at that, uh, desperately. You know, yeah. when you guys aren't multiplying yourself and you guys don't have the power and weight of the spirit behind you, right. my God, look at that. <laughs> right. What does that mean? Yeah, you can get butts in the seats, but does that mean these are actual disciples of Jesus, or are they actually just uh, you know bit players in a drama that was created 50 years ago in a, in a exactly. Bible study? It's a revolving door, and they've changed their focus now from um, a group that was run by a lot of adult elders. They've now got a lot of college kids running the group, kids that you know I was uh, either a high school or a fellow college leader with. Um, they run the group now because the, 
the biggest um, group that they have the ability to to manipulate and control and to bring up and coerce are the young. They've got people in their schools. Right. They've got people, um, you know, at Calumet, um, uh, one of their middle schools. Um, they've got kids that, you know, that are, uh, you know, that they can put in their blowout programs and they can put in their middle school, high school programs. Right. And they can just funnel in the ministry. And that's, that's right. honest to God where the growth is coming from. Right. You know, so, people so who are established and secure are not, are not drawn to this church. Right. So, but, but to start with, that that wasn't really your experience. I mean, you you told me, and and, I, and I'm I'm sure that's been that's that's just the most heartrending thing to hear. But you keep hearing it over and over and over from different people in different ways. Is that mm-hmm. their experience at the end of their involvement you know, was filled with condemnation and mm-hmm. self loathing and guilt Absolutely. and shaming and misery and psychological issues and 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 you know just all this horrible trauma of mm-hmm. having their, their their inner secrets about their sex life and about their emotional issues and about their their personal struggles and their doubts and questions just dragged out before the for in, in the supposedly purging exercise mm-hmm. of a community that's supposed to make you a better person. That's what they Absolutely. were they were traumatized by. But but to begin with to begin with, where we're looking back at how you got got into this, that wasn't really your your experience, right? That was that was it was something that was certainly a lot more positive. Absolutely, yeah. I was um, I was homeschooled growing up, so I didn't have a lot of involvement with other kids my age. My parents um, were volunteers at a state park in southern Ohio, and we ran into a couple from Zenos. And when we got back to Columbus, as we did every fall, as a high schooler, and I mean, it's it, it moves slowly. And so, like, the leader of their, they called it their blowout, like their middle school was, at the time I was there, was Mark Johnson. And he was, you know, that quintessential charismatic leader. You know, he was goofy. He was fun. He was cool. Everybody looked up to him. You know, he was a musician. He was, you know, pretty much a stand-up comedian. I mean, he was a hilarious guy. Yeah, exactly. as a little kid, you're looking at him and you're like, man, this guy's really, really cool. Yeah. You know, this guy, and then, then you go out to your first meeting, right? He comes and he picks you up, you know, cause you're a kid, you don't have a car, right? You know, and your parents may, and, and that's, that's an insidious way. Like, eh, your parents don't need to be involved. They don't need to drop you off. I'll come get you, right? We'll make it, we'll make it easy on the parents, but in a way that immediately cuts your ties to your parents just on a very, very small level right off the bat. Like, oh, he'll come get you. Oh, that's cool. You know, Mark's going to come get you, you know, no big deal. So he would come to your house. He would talk to you. You felt like you were a million bucks. Like, I cannot believe this leader in Xenos, right? We go out to this blowout ministry thing. There's several hundred middle schoolers. And this, the leader of this is coming to get me. You know, the leader of this is like, quote, investing in me, you know, spending time with me. We're pre- He's telling me that he's going to be teaching tonight and what he's teaching about and what do I think about this? You know, I mean, it's just an amazing thing. And so they get you that way. And then as you start kind of, you know, you, you spend a little bit more time there, you find out, well, 
you know, we might be 300 of the same kids, right? Same age group. But some of these kids are given, you know, kind of cool things to do that the other kids aren't because, you know, they're spiritual, right? They're more focused, like they're more devoted. And those things could be as simple as going down to the McDonald's and filling up the cooler with ice. Wow, they get to help, you know, serve the group by, you know, getting an, a, a cooler filled of, you know, ice for all, just so they can cool off all the drinks and they can help set up stuff beforehand. And man, Mark has keys, but, you know, I can go with him and help, you know, get everything ready and, and not only, you know, be more devoted and be more, ser- you know, servant like by doing that. So they start to get you kind of in this mindset where you're, you're doing what it is they want you to do just on a very, very um, topical level. But because of that, you're, you're given so much encouragement and you're set apart from the others, right? Cause you're, you know, you're on their uh, God squad, you know, or yeah. you're, you know, you could, you get called on to stand up and pray before the meeting starts and you get a shot to, you know, do whatever. So, you know, they ask you to give your testimony at the teaching, you know, that sort of thing. So, you know, that stuff starts in middle school. Um, and it just starts on a very, very minute level with very simple tasks, but those simple tasks set you apart and get you a ton of encouragement from people you think are, you know, really, really cool and really have it going on. And then as you kind of go into high school, you find out like, oh man, Mark lives in a ministry house on campus, right? He lives with these other guys and, you know, for me, when I was in high school, I was homeschooled through high school, so I didn't have a lot of involvement with other kids my age. So my involvement became, you know, Mark, I would I would hang out, you know, with, with his roommates, right? I would hang out with Aaron Phelps, and I would go, yeah. you know, Aaron would be like, hey, let's go to a movie tonight, and, and that sort of thing. So you, you get to do all this stuff you weren't normally doing, Um and, uh, you know, stay up past your bedtime and your parents are fine because, you know, these are guys with the church and whatever, and they're get good influences and it's keeping you out of trouble and whatnot and, you know, all that kind of stuff. But yeah, you know, and then you can crash over at their house, you know, you can spend weekends there, you know, and it's, wow, these, all, all seven of these guys are, you know, devoted and living their life for God. And, you know, so you start as you start becoming more involved and more aware of what's going on, you, you start to see Xenos gave these people a place to live. Xenos gave these guys a job. Xenos gave these guys the foundation to serve and to, to move God's kingdom forward. And um, if I do what I'm supposed to be doing here, and they're going to tell me, you know, it's not only let's go get ice now, it's, you know, hey, why don't you come, you know, 15 minutes earlier to my place and we'll pray before the meeting or we'll, you know, why don't you um, spend some extra time at the, at, the, at the meeting talking to this person or doing, you know, so they start to, you know, guide you into like these these things and they're not all necessarily bad. But they're they're all ways where you do what you're supposed to do, and they're the ones deciding what you're supposed to be doing, right? And, you know, ministry houses, I was introduced to that. 
at an early age, um, they go to this place, or they went to this place called Holden Beach every year. I went there as a, as a high schooler twice. You know, my parents let me go with the college kids, right? You know, and that's where you really get involved in the sense that, like, you know, man, these guys are so cool. You know, they all smoke, they drink, they let me drink. You know, they all stay up to all hours of the night. There's, they are the, um, the authority and they're cool. They're just like me. They're not like having the adults around or whatever. Um, you know, it's, it, it really is when I had my first opportunity to move into a house, it was a no brainer. Like I got my parents to give permission. I don't even know if they were asked to give permission, but I moved into how into a ministry house as a minor. You know, just because it was, it was a no brainer. If I want to, if I want to, um, live my life for God, I need to move into a house and because I'm not going to be effect, as effective outside of a house and I can learn more and I can be involved people who are similarly focused yeah. Yeah. And, and all they, of that jazz. How, what was the line of reasoning they would use on you to make you feel like you can't go anywhere else to be effective? to be truly faithful to God except within the context of the Xenos culture. So, so that's not, that? so that's not necessarily brought up to you directly, right? Because right. I was a Columbus kid. I was a kid that I wasn't going to school, right? I didn't have any athletic scholarships. I wasn't, you know, brilliant. I didn't have, you know, uh, scholarship offer from anywhere else, you know, because of like what I was doing in high school, like I was homeschooled. Like I was kind of like a no risk to leave type person. Right. I, I grew up on campus in Victorian village, you know, that, that was my home. That was where my family was. It wasn't like I was, you know, a kid who had just started going to school there from out of state or, or anything like that. So I wasn't a risk to leave. So I wasn't pulled aside and said, well, hey, you might want to sacrifice this opportunity because I think God wants you here, right? Because I didn't have those opportunities as a kid. I was kind of, you know, a nobody. But they, what I did see, though, is them pull aside other kids, right? So, you know, so-and-so you know, has, has a chance to go down to Bowling Green and go to school. Well, shoot, Mark and I would, you know, and Aaron and I would pray about this kid choosing not to go to school at Bowling Green and to choose to go to school in Columbus so that he could stay involved. Because we, you know, we did not want him to be out by himself on college, all the temptations there without his brothers, right? We wanted him in a ministry house. We were convinced that God wanted him here, you know, so they wouldn't necessarily tell me like, hey, you know, here's the rationale for why you need to stay local. But we would get really involved with other kids who were and, I, you know, flight risk is too um, much of a statement, but who, who did have the chance and the opportunity to go elsewhere. And, uh, you know, it would be like, OK. Um, Mount, you know, this kid plays football for Ohio State. He's never going to start because he's not necessarily good enough. But Mount Union 
has offered him a full scholarship. Um, but we don't want him to go there because it, he would leave here and he would be, you know, out on his own and, and that sort of thing. So we would weigh in with him. And then the kids that would leave, it was like, oh, my God, they walked away from God. Right. They left God. You know, they are pursuing a life in the world. Why would they want to do this? Um you know, so I saw, I didn't have like the same arguments landed on me, but I very much became aware. And that's how they do a lot of things, right? right. You kind of see, you kind of see what not to do, right? You're not like directly encouraged to go do X, Y, and Z, right? But they make it known that you should go do X, Y, and Z because they spend so much time emphasizing what they don't want you to do, right? So there's only really one path left, right? Go go live in a ministry house, attend all the meetings, and uh, pick a, you know, pick a school um, that's close, and pick a uh, a study that will make you more more effective for the Lord, make you a better evangelist, more effective. So, so you know, so at what point then did, did they? I, I mean, I understand it's, it's an incremental thing. Nobody directly tells you, but at, at what mm-hmm. were there points at which though, in which mentors or disciples would just come mm-hmm. alongside some idealistic young man or woman? with dreams and passions and they're, they're unpacking themselves uh, to mm-hmm. the disciples, talking about what they want to do with their lives. Uh, is there at some point where, where it starts to become suggested, like I said, that they might consider a, a, oh, absolutely. That, yes. that very path, uh, but even though, like you said, it's been something that's been implicitly impressed upon them all the time. Exactly, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. Yes. Oh, absolutely. So yes. So my friends, I guess that's my question. Yes. So, so when does it become explicit? Okay. So usually when you're more in the high school to college age, because you're you're out from under your parents, they don't necessarily have the same say. Then you start seeing the conversations about, uh, like I worked for my dad, for instance, and I worked for my dad because he gave me flexible hours. And I could work a couple hours a week and then spend the rest of my time discipling people and working at the, co- you know, or meeting people at the coffee shop and doing what I thought was ministry, right? So even then, they didn't like him providing me a paycheck. So I got conversations about how, you know, they pulled up scripture and they said, you know, um, if your father, your, your mom and dad don't do X, Y, and Z, like I forget what Nate scripture he used. Um, but I remember it looked like it was yesterday. The conversation was basically like, they're not living their life for God. Yeah. Um, and they're not, uh, they have too much control over you because they control your paycheck, right? So you need to figure something else out and you need to stop spending your time and your, most of your time around them, right? You know, because part of what you need to be doing is working somewhere where you can, you know, bring people out to meetings, right? You're not going to do that, you and your dad going and cutting grass or doing landscaping, right? You're only going to do that if you go work at, you know, the coffee shop or whatever with people your own age that you can get to know and meet evangelized to, right? So they were very much, like, they weighed in immediately regarding my relationship with my parents. were extremely, and, and hostels probably, um, 
hostile is probably too much of a word, but Nate was the guy who discipled me in college was very much like, um, threatened, right. By, by how involved my parents were in my life. And he didn't, he did not like that one bit. Um, so yeah, he would immediately start to weigh in about how much time I was spending at my parents' place. He would start to weigh in about me working for the family business and, and not going out and getting what job he wanted me to get. Um, and this was your disciple, right? Yes, absolutely. So he was very much um, in my ear about that and would rebuke me. You know, that was where when I would start getting like formally rebuked and stuff was. You know, on that, and I'll have to I'll have to find the passage that he pulled out of context. But it was basically like something, something about like the end times and mothers and fathers are turned against their kids, and made it sound like I was at a point of choosing in my life where I needed to either choose the the church or or my family, right? So you know, of course, I chose the church and you know did what I was supposed to be doing and started spending a lot less time with my family and, and, um, working a lot and all of that stuff. You know, I started to take out loans to pay my bills rather than, you know, work, work at the family summers and that sort of thing. So that was, that was regarding, um, when they started to expressly get involved in, you know, kind of cut that tie that to, to people, people that are like your support group outside of the church. Right. Right. Um, they would, we would also do stuff where in this, this happened in college too, where, you know, Cal, Calvin was this kid who was going down to, um, school in Southern Ohio. And we, we would pull him aside, like flipping every meeting. Hey, have you thought about staying, you know, close? Have you thought about moving into a ministry house? Have you thought about transferring up here? Have you thought about, you know, and when, and when he finally made the decision, like, no, like I've got a good setup down here. Oh my gosh. It was like, we all went into mourning. You know, this guy's an hour and a half away, but we, to us, it was like he was 30 million miles away from what God wanted him to do. And he was, he had turned his back. Um, and I, I mean, it, it, you know, so we would weigh in about where he went to school. My, uh, this guy in my house named Jason was pursuing an engineering degree and it was getting really, really time intensive, right? So there was never a question in any of our minds about, hey, you know, this guy might really be able to do a lot of cool stuff for God with an engineering degree. Yeah. Um, it was more, it was more like this guy can't come to this. He can't, and he would come to the meetings, but he can't go to the quote ministry events after the meetings, you know, and stay up until all hours of night of the, of the night ministering to people and, and doing that sort of thing. So we would encourage him to, to quit that stuff. And this was a kid that was, he was, um, what, he was the son of one of the elders of the church at the time. So he, he was not to us. He was not even devoted enough. And he came from a family that was, you know, super devoted in the lives or the eyes of the church. But yeah, because of what he was pursuing and the yeah. time it was taking away from what we wanted him to do, was oh, absolutely, absolutely we would, we were, there's absolutely the no out. concept then. And that what you're saying is that within Xenos, there's absolutely no concept 
no notion, no consideration, no appreciation, no 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 actual uh, acknowledgement that uh, a person can go can, can leave the community and go off to the school or even go to the church and be viewed as, and be viewed as, as somehow suspect. They, they, oh, they, absolutely, they're absolutely. absolutely as, as an apostate of some sort, somebody who's, who's, yeah. who's uh, abandoning God in some way. Uh, they they, they, they yes. just cannot conceive that someone can actually still love and serve God but not be a part of Xenos. Is that correct? Absolutely, absolutely. And that would get – I cannot list the amount of – uh, both direct and indirect, you know, conversations that would occur because of, like things would be as direct as, as taking their leadership classes. And one of our homework assignments would be to go to five other churches, right? And go there for one meeting and then write about everything that they did that wasn't according to God's will, that wasn't devoted, that wasn't as uh, militantly like, uh, you know, into, you know, what God wanted to do in the greater Columbus area. And we would go and we would write criticism. So we were, we were trained from an early age through like their servanthood classes, through their leadership classes, through their Christian principal classes. We were trained at an early age that Xenos was the one way. And that all of any, and it wasn't even like, hey, if you go to Vineyard in Columbus, you know, they, they kind of have a good thing going. Like, you're not necessarily going to see what we're talking about there. Maybe spend your time going somewhere. No, it was like, choose any other church other than Xenos, and you're going to go in and you're going to answer these questions, and you're going to criticize them and fill out what they're doing incorrectly and how they're not biblical and how they're, you know, living their lives apart from what God would really want. Basically, how they're how they're lukewarm Christians, right? right? So you know, we so people not only who were like, "Hey, I feel called to go join this ministry," or you know, go do whatever. Those people would have the direct conversations with them about why they were wrong, but then the people, everybody else, who even the people who were aware that those conversations were happening, and that you know, so you know, Calvin turned his back on God today, right? people who knew that that stuff was going on would then have the indirect assignments that would still imprint in their minds like, Oh, go take your Christian principles class and, and then come back and tell me why um, all these other churches are trash and why Xenos is the way, the truth and the life, <laughs> you know, like, so it was very, they kind of hit you both ways. They hit you indirectly. Um, you know, fundy Christians, that was one thing we threw around a lot. Orthodoxy, you know, um, it was a, there was a constant mocking about anything that was going on outside of Xenos, um, as being just kind of a joke and, you know, th- that sort of thing. Um, yeah. was there, a- so yeah, I mean, it was very deliberate. Tell us a little more, Oliver, about what, okay. As I said, Xenos prides itself on making everybody there, uh, put, or putting everybody there in, in within, within its, 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 uh, homeschool and, um, and, 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 and all that it does, uh, to actually prime people to become leaders. Mm-hmm. So if everyone is meant to be, everyone's striving to be, everyone's striving to, you know, become, to, to arrive at this level of, 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 uh, 
of maturity. Um, mm-hmm. And, and what, 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 at what level did you rise to? What you were actually called a leader over that? What, what level? In other words, what, as, as you, as we call it, in the career path of Zs, what, what yeah. level of leadership were you at? Yeah. So around fifteen and sixteen, I started just helping out with the high school group. Um, when I got to college, I started helping out with the high school uh, group as a college uh, leader. Um, or excuse me, as a, as a high school leader from the college group. Okay. Um, now that lasted for a year or two. And then I had, I left the church for a small period of time, um, started getting counseling, started to try to work through some of the issues that being involved was, was bringing up, um, started going back to the church again. And then, I think I was still involved with high school ministry. I was still a high school leader at that point. Then I think I was, I was a, a college cell group leader and then I was a college home, home group leader. Okay. Um, so what's so above was, that? Explain it to us a little more. Okay. Yeah, it, so, it's this hierarchy. What's what, where do you go from exactly. there? So it, it's all, it's all based on like the smallest denomination, right? Is the, individual discipleship relationship, right? So each individual person uh, believes that they need to duplicate themselves as many times as possible, right? That's the way you're going to get exponential growth in your group. So you start by discipling somebody, and then if you start to build a ministry, you your work gets acknowledged, and you're given the ability to, to co-lead a, a cell group with, with fellow um, people your own gender. If you're successful at that, you'll be raised up to home church leadership, which is like a small home group of, you know, around 45 people, uh, both guys and girls. And you'll lead that. If you're successful at that and you successfully duplicate not only your individual discipleship relationships, but if you duplicate cell groups and you duplicate your home church, then you'll be acknowledged for your good works and you'll become a, uh, a sphere leader. Um, or an elder, uh, and that's kind of the next, the next step up, you know, is to just to continue to propagate, you know, your ministry that way. It's, it's all numerical. It's all about getting as many people as possible and, and multiplying your, uh, your effects down, down through them. And then in turn, having them, um, bring in their own people. So it's somewhat of a pyramid scheme, kind of how it's designed. Right. You let you were living in a ministry house and they kicked you out because or, I mean how did you actually leave? I mean what, so, what I mean, did you actually walk away or were you were you cast away? I mean which was which was it? It was it was one of those things where I left because so it was like a it was like a leave or get kicked out type of thing, right? So I was a ministry house leader, cell group leader, and home church leader, and was, you know, unbelievably depressed and lonely in my life, right? And I could not figure out why um, everything that Zenos had promised me my life would be was not coming true, right? So it was a very, it was crazy moment. Like the, the, the girl that they had directed me to date, that relationship had gone down in flames, right? My, the person I co-led the ministry uh, with, um, she had gotten married and her husband had decided he was threatened by our relationship and didn't want us to hang out. 
Um, and so I didn't feel any support or, or anything like that as a leader. Um, there were several other things that went on that summer where I just, I literally got to the point where like when I would put together a teaching, I couldn't figure out what God wanted me to, to teach on. Couldn't figure out, uh, couldn't, couldn't get a burden. They called it a burden, right? So you're, mm-hmm. you know, so I would just walk around at night until all hours of the night just trying to find God and trying to find what his specific message that he wanted to convey to my group through me was. And it was just silent. I mean, everything was silence. Everything was, was very much alone. And I had, <clears throat> um, the woman I led with, that's who I was telling you about, um, the other night is, um, we had, we had designed our ministry to be different. Even though we were in Xenos, we wanted to be different from what Xenos was doing, right? So we knew a lot of the stuff that was going on with the dating and we did not want that to be the experience of our, the people in our group. We knew just, we knew what was going on with like the schools and stuff and just the pressure that were being put on these kids, you know, and we didn't, we wanted people to develop their own burdens and develop their own uh, idea for what, what it was, you know, God was leading them to do, right? So we were very much, um, against kind of the top down direction, right? Like I remember, like I taught a lot on, you know, I'm just as lost and alone as you guys, right? We're all, um, trying to figure this out together, how to walk with God, how to love other people. And and what we're being called to do as as ministers is is ultimately impossible, right? You know, we're we're literally changing or working in conjunction with God's spirit to change uh eternity in a person's heart. And that's that's a tall order. That's an impossible order. And that's something that should both put us in awe and uh, and also, you know, make us feel very, um, mm. underqualified, right? For, for what we're being. So it was, it was so an- antithetical to the, this is what you should do. This is what God is doing. This is black and white. It was very much like, now this is a relationship, guys, and there's room for doubt. There's room for fear. There's room for, um, uh, loneliness, right? There's, there's room for all of these, things that go on in life that are part of the human condition, right? Because Xenos is very big on like, hey, you know, if you have any of this, like, yeah, God will meet you, you know, Christ will meet you on the road and say, okay, Thomas, you know, put your fingers in, you know, the uh, um, the nail holes, right? He'll get, he'll give you, but you don't want it to get to that point where he has to like prove himself to you, like have the faith of a mustard seed, mustard seed for God's sake. You know, right? So they were very black and white as that this is this is God's will, this is His path, and this is the road you should be on, right? We were very much against that. And when things started to fall apart, and I started to feel even more like, you know, God, I am out on a flipping island here. I got these twelve guys looking to me um, to uh, to lead them. And I can't even leave myself, right? I thought I was supposed to marry this girl and this relationship is gone. I thought I was to leave. I I came back, you know, I, I had left the church for a while, several years before that. I came back to the church to co-lead with uh, this woman, Meg, 
um, because she had basically brought me back and that was falling apart. That relationship was falling apart. It, it, she was the one that I felt like, man, she gets it. She gets how enormous this task is. She gets how, um, she, she gets all of these things that this church doesn't get and doesn't teach. And when that relationship started to fall apart, um, one of the guys I was closest to in the house, uh, he had gotten married and, and moved out. I mean, there were a lot of things that kind of like came together. And I just, I literally and figuratively, you know, just, you know, I fell apart. You know, my school started to suffer. Even the classes that I was, you know, already doing kind of the bare minimum in, that started to suffer. Um, my ministry started to suffer. I, I couldn't figure out what it was I was supposed to be doing in my life. I didn't have any clear direction and things just weren't, didn't feel like they were working out. Um, and we, I mean, it was just, just a very, it was like a culminate, like a culmination of so many things and just a very like lost moment in my life. And like the people I would go to for help, right. I would go to like the, the counselors at Xenos, <laughs> And I would be like, okay, you know, so how do I make this work? Like, what am I doing wrong here? Like, tell me what to do to make this all right. Um, You know, and you're, you know, you're getting the same, you know, kind of crap that you would get if you went to, like, I went to Dennis at one point to ask for advice, you know, on what was going on. I went, you know, went to my fellow leaders and that sort of thing. I was not getting anywhere as to why it was I would go into a meeting and teach that this is the body of Christ. These are the closest relationships. This is what being in this group will provide you in your life that you have never had or experienced before. Why I would go in and say that out of one side of my mouth and then go home alone and feel utterly abjectly like by myself and not have any sort of that experience you know i would just it was just you know that dichotomy was just mind-blowing to me and it just did it was just like you know i'm lying to everybody i'm lying to everybody about a life I, i haven't even been able to lead or have myself you know but yet i'm promising every person i'm bringing around that you know you're going to live life and live it abundantly. Like this is the best life you can live here in a fallen world, you know, is by joining this church and being a part of things here. And when it didn't seem like that was the case anymore, or my experience didn't line up with that. Once that wasn't the reality, you know, God, everything started to crumble, literally crumble in, in everything I was doing. Um, so like my discipleship relationships, those were fall, you know, falling apart, right? Because, you know, guys would come to me for advice and for leading. And I would say, I don't know, right? I, I don't know. Like, and, and that was a thing. There was no, there should, the way that we were told to present things, there should have been no room for doubt, right? We had it all figured out, right? We, you know, as a 24, 25 year old person, like I should have had it nailed down but you know i would say uh, you know i don't know either so whoa wait a second how how don't you know right you're the one who's supposed to be leading me you know mm-hmm. so those would would fall those were starting to fall apart like my teachings you know i taught probably 
oh my goodness, I taught at least once a week, sometimes three times a week. My teachings would not have the same um, passion. Teams. Exactly. They they just didn't have, carry the same weight, same passion. So the the results, right? You know, Xenos will always say like, well, you know, we don't, we're not a group on based on numbers, right? You know, we're 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 based on the quality of people's walks with God. You know, not the quantity. Now they're they're very much based on numbers, right? Mm-hmm. They wanted to be a super church. They wanted to be, you Music know, they've been honoring church, it, right? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. We want to be a church planning movement, right? We want to be part of this movement. We want to be the next great thing, right? Come to our servanthood classes, close your eyes. And if you're committed, you need to stand up now type, type deal. So, you know, I, I didn't have the results anymore, right? I didn't have, I was the charismatic, passionate person that was compelling everybody to, you know, move into the house or join the home church or come out to meetings and, and that sort. Of, so my results weren't there. So you were starting you know, to lose. Were there uh, members that you were ministering to finally leaving? So nobody left until after I left. So after I left, I think everybody in the ministry house left. The home church was disbanded. And I think a, a handful of people are still in fellowship at Xenos right now. Um, but it basically just, just, just crumbled because after I left, then it was the leader that was sent in there to kind of, you know, clean things up. It was back to the black and white, you know, you do this, don't do that. And, and, uh, you know, I had spent so much time trying to instill personal responsibility in each of the guys to, to make choices on their own. Right. When they, when somebody started to come in there and, and say, you know, don't smoke in the house or don't smoke on the porch. You need to go smoke in your car or, you know, you need to have a curfew of 10 o'clock or you need to be, you know, you're not in school. So I'm going to kick you out of the house. Right. You know, you're not attending classes or you're not, it was basically like, you know, if you're not doing X, Y, and Z, here's the criteria, you're, you, you know, type thing, you're gone. Um, and most of the guys ended up, you know, over the next months and, and couple of years, probably, you know, probably maybe only a year, but a year or two, ended up leaving, you know, mm-hmm. at, at, shortly after that. Um, and it was only then that they, we reconnected, right? Because when you're in the church, you know, you're not allowed to be in contact with people who are out of the, outside the church. So they would sneak me, they would, uh, uh, sneak me over and I would hang out with them and stuff, you know, cause I, I really love them. So they would sneak me over and, and we still have like a friendship relationship and that sort of thing. Can't even have decent relationships, and that's understandable. Yeah. When it was, you know, I remember when I was living in my car, one of the guys that was still in the house, like he couldn't sneak me into the house in the middle of winter when it was cold. There was like two feet of snow on the ground, but he's like, "Oh my god, he's gonna die in this car." So he came to where I was living, you know, pulled me out of the car in the middle of the night and took me to his parents' house, right, so I could have like a warm place to sleep you know, in the middle of winter and stuff, but there was, you know, they weren't allowed to have any involvement with me. You know, it was one of those things that was like completely, 
you know, shunned. It wasn't that, you know, man, this is a struggling brother that we need to shore up or, or even on the other side of things, like this is something that went terribly wrong here and we need to figure out what went wrong Mm -hmm. or, um, whatever. It was basically like, nah, you know, you failed, you haven't made the cut and you're, you're toast. And, you know, uh, just didn't, uh, um, I mean, it was, I still look back on that and I wish during it at some point in the time I was at Xenos, I wish somebody had said, you know, maybe you have a chemical imbalance or maybe you need to go to a professional and seek professional help with some of these things. It wasn't until after I was gone from Xenos that I finally it broke down the stake, like mental health and that sort of thing. Like if you have mental health in Xenos, you're not following God, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. You know, it, it, mental health issues or, or that sort of thing. You're, you know, you're not following God properly, right? And if you need a chemical to make you feel good about your relationship with God and, and what you're doing here on earth, you know, oh my gosh, like you're, you're basically drugging yourself to have an experience and, and how 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 much can you trust of that experience to actually be authentic, right? So it, it, any sort of like medication, prescriptions, work with uh, a real therapist, work with a, a psychiatrist, all of that stuff, extremely, extremely frowned upon. It was only until after I was out where I said, my God, maybe, you know, Right. The counselor in Xenos, who I went to for three years, they didn't help me. None of the other leaders helped me uh, figure things out, why why it was that things were going this way. Maybe mm-hmm. I am really depressed. Maybe I do have a chemical issue that's outside of my control. Maybe I do have things from my past I need to work through. You know, maybe I don't have it all together like I thought I did. You know, it was only then that, you know, long I started to, oh, absolutely, started to get stable. You know, I met Linnea. I uh, started to see a psychiatrist. Um, I got on some uh, uh, just really mild, uh, like Zoloft, you know, whatever did wonders for me. Um, Started to get, you know, stable, moved into a a house with a couple guys in college, Um, you know, started to go back to school. You know, for, long, for a real degree and all that. How long after you after you you, you left from Xenos was it until you? Found- I went. I started to take some Zoloft. I gosh, I don't remember when I actually got prescribed. And I thought about. I had a, a doctor's appointment a few months. Ago. I thought about actually asking him, like, okay, based on my chart, when did I start taking this? Right, because it's just it gets so that time period in my life is just so flipping blurry. However, you stated that you were struggling greatly with depression while in Xenos. Now, was, was that a clinical diagnosis referring to an actual chemical imbalance and an illness you're struggling with, or uh, was that something that, that was actually diagnosed as, uh, by, uh, by, by, by actual you know, psych, psych, psychiatrists and medical doctors? Now, so I was going to a counselor uh, within Xenos, and I did not receive any sort of diagnosis. Um, a lot of my issues 
you know, feeling lonely, feeling depressed, not being able to sleep, you know, racing thoughts, um, anxiety, that sort of thing. Um, we're all, uh, kind of chalked up to, you know, not trusting God or not, um, walking with God in, in, in the way that I should, right? You know, because you're in the body of Christ, you shouldn't feel lonely. You know, you're surrounded by people who love you. You should not feel unloved. You know, you have a ministry. You shouldn't feel like you um, are purposeless, right? Um, you should believe your identity in Christ. You shouldn't necessarily um, try to try to figure out like who you are, what you like, um, and who you know who you are individually. So, yeah, I, I was never diagnosed by anybody with Xenos. I was referred to a psychiatrist at the time who completely went overboard and, and, uh, she was in Xenos. She diagnosed me as, um, bipolar and schizophrenic and several other things and put me on just an incredibly destructive, uh, amount of, uh, amount of drugs, right? I basically felt numb. And I can remember going back to my counselor in Xenos and saying, my God, if this is what life is going to be, if this is how if this is how I'm to become healthy, you know, by not feeling anything and being completely numb to the world, I don't know necessarily if I want that, right? So she misdiagnosed me, um, and it wasn't until uh, several years after that that I finally got to see, you know, a real a real uh, psychiatrist, and they said, you're depressed, you're stressed out. You know, you, you're going, you, you know, you're trying to grow up. You're trying to deal with responsibilities. You know, you're failing for the first time in your life. And they put me on a mild dose of Soloft and it flip and changed my life. It was, uh, it was unbelievable. I think 0.25 milligrams of Zoloft and I was a changed person. That's how little it took. Uh, just the kind of two-handed thing. First, being having it understood that you're not alone. You know, other people struggle with depression, and it's not something that you should be ashamed of or feel like is sin. And then the second thing was, you know, you have a chemical issue, right? You, uh, you got an imbalance that we need to figure out and, and work out. Um, and, and once that happened, I mean, I've been completely stable and consistent ever since. Um. Right. So and I never I never would have had that healing if I was in the church. Right. I was continuing to try to figure out what the hell was wrong with me. Um I'd stay up all night. Um I would hike all around the city on foot. I'd hop on trains. I mean, I did just an incredible amount of stuff. I I'd go down to Calumet and run the bleachers until I was exhausted. I mean, I mm. uh, I did so many things to try to figure out why I was the way that I was and why things weren't working for me in the way that other people convinced me that they were working for them. Um, and at the end of the day, it's like, you know, there was there weren't any adults in the room. There was not anybody who was able to make a suggestion that actually would have benefited me. The answer was always more work, more responsibility, um, get higher and higher in the church, um, you know, and continue to sacrifice and devote your life to, to your ministry and everything will work out. And that, you know, that's not the case. It, it really isn't. 
So, so and the stigma of besetting psychological or emotional problems and uh, in Zionists is, is a very real thing. It's, it sounds Absolutely. to me that you know that that that's something that uh, is inflicted upon those who struggle. And I would guess that in a, in a, in a place like that, the, those who struggled that way just were, were just moved ahead and are moving ahead even today because they can hide mm-hmm. it in, in the most cunning Absolutely. way they possibly can. Absolutely. And I was able to hide it for a long time because I was very, very good at um, kind of plowing forward, right? I was very good at school, very successful at school. I was very good at ministry. I was very good at bringing people around. I was very good at teaching. Um, you know, I was very good socially. There were a lot of things I was able to do where people would think, oh my gosh, this is a successful person, right? He's you know, leading a group, um, a group that's doing well. He's got several disciples. He's got people in the pipeline pipeline that he's evangelizing to. Um, but at the end of the day, like I said, I mean, I felt, I felt fake. I felt lost and I felt alone. And when I would go to teachings where they would say things like, you know, they would promise you what it was like to, to live Christ and to live a, that abundant life, right? It was not my experience there. My experience was discipling a couple of people, being successful, and then having them split away from you and not having those friends anymore. My experience was the more success you have, the more alone you're going to get because, you know, you'll continue to grow, develop, duplicate yourself and send out your own little missionaries to go and do the same thing, right? And that's All these people that you love and invest in. Right, and that's mostly what Christian community was according to, according to Xenos in the New Testament. That's the way Christianity was meant to be understood. When you talk about the Great Commission, you know, go – go forth and make disciples of all nations, right? There, There's that aspect of, you know, going out and, you know, spreading, spreading the good news, speaking, you know, preaching about Christ and what his crucifixion means. And, but at the end of the day, that's only possible in, in within the, uh, when you live Christ and live that abundant life, right? When you see the blessings of the Christian community, when you see those little miracles every day in your life, when you see things that are authentically um, the hand of God at work, that's the only thing that gives those uh, those acts the ability to, to, to – it gives you the passion, gives you the conviction, gives you the faith to work out your you – know, to literally work out your faith in that regard – um, when you see those authentic things. And the frustrating thing is the thing that I kept fighting for in Xenos and didn't feel or didn't see with my own eyes was what was authentic, right? Yeah. Every single person that told me, I love you, I want to invest in you, I have a burden for you. The day I walked out the door, not one of them, not one of them at all ever called me up ever reached out to me, ever said, hey, how's it going? Mm-hmm. These are people that said, you know, you're my brother. I'd lay down my life for you. And I would always look at them and say, nah, I don't, I don't think you believe that. Because the minute I'm not doing what you want me to do, or the minute I'm not successful in producing what you want me to produce, our relationship is as good as dead. And it didn't feel real, and it wasn't real. Those pe- mm-hmm. Those people have never 
picked up the phone and dialed my number. I have one person that has remained in contact with me that's still in that church. Only one person out of the scores and scores of people I served with, uh, fellow leaders, people I discipled, people I was in groups with, only one person. That's that's how they um, – that's literally how they punish you when you leave is you, while you're there, you question whether it's real. When you leave, you find out it's not real. They really didn't have that connection to you, that relationship, that burden and, and passion to be involved in your life. Yeah. Um, Right. Because, because why, why would you, why would you ever kick somebody out of your life that failed? I mean, failure is part of the human condition. Right. Um, and that's but, certainly something that a lot of people, of course, are, are testifying to is that, you know, uh, dwells, Zena slash dwell says they're so full of love for people. And yet, uh, they, 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 they actually prove just the opposite by what they do. Uh, I want to read, I, I want to read a little bit here, uh, from, from the, from the Daily Beast response that Dwell put out here. And I'm going to pick up, maybe you can be, maybe you can piggyback some of what we've been talking about here. Uh, they wrote over the last two months, and this is from the Daily Beast, uh, article. Uh, which they quote, and then James Rockford, giving the official response, uh, chimes in. Over the last two months, the Daily Beast interviewed 25 former Dwell followers whose membership spans nearly four decades. While the details of their experiences differed, the result was the same. Dwell, they said, was a church that drew them in when they were young or lonely, showered them with attention and compliments, and quickly turned dark. And, of course, James Rockford goes on to say, well, this is a highly cynical interpretation of relational love. Jesus said, love one another just as I have loved you. If people at dwell were cold and unwelcoming, our dark motives would be eliminated, So, but so would our love. This is truly a no-win scenario. If you show love, this is for the purpose of manipulation and pressure. But if you don't show love, then you're welcoming and cold. What, what do you respond to that? I, I mean, I, I got my own views, but what would you say to his own uh, rather dismissive uh, um, comment here? I I discipled a young man named Casey Lewis, and I, honest to God, don't even know if he's alive at this point. He was excommunicated, but before he was excommunicated, he pulled me aside. And he told me something that I will always remember. He said, Oliver, he said something, I lost something in my life when you stopped investing in me, when you stopped picking me up for meetings, right? When you stopped, you know, going out of your way to to talk to me, when you stopped getting together with me and studying with me. He said, you know, once that love, that outpouring of love and investment stopped, um, because at that point he was living in the ministry house, he was going to cell group, he was taking Christian principal classes, and he was attending the home church CT and prayer meetings, right? He was doing what he was supposed to be doing. He said w- once that love stopped, man, he he was destitute um, and, and alone. And he said something something was gone from his life. And that's the Xenos strategy. You bring those people in, and my God, you make them feel like they're the most important uh, person on the face of the earth, right? You would get in your car and drive – I would get in my car and drive 45 minutes to go pick him up uh, one way, just just to go get him, right? 
come back, you know, and he would hang out with us. You know, he had a, pl- he had a place on the couch to crash when he needed to. Um, and we would just show him that level of love and investment um, and commitment and communicate to him that he had value. He had a place there. This is where God wanted him in his life. And then it was all gone. Then it was time for Casey to figure out those things on his own. And it was time for Casey to deal with some of his past demons on his own. Mm. And it was time for um, Casey to grow up. And, and you, you know, you're talking about a 19-year-old kid here. You know, it's time for you to, him to grow up. And um, his life collapsed without that support and that commitment and that investment. And that happens to a lot of people in Xenos. You know, once you come in, um, every time when I wasn't that involved, every time I would show up, I mean, I'd get hugs from like 15 different people, you know, but then after a while, you know, you're old news and and you're expected to to be on the other side of that. So it's, it's, it's amazing. You know, if you're bringing people out there, a project and uh, they can do no wrong. And every time they pray, you know, you're, you're sitting next to them. Amen, brother. Amen. You know, their praying is the most edifying thing you've ever heard. Every time they speak up at a meeting, oh my gosh, what you said tonight, that was unbelievable, right? Every time that, you know, you guys drive, you drive them home, you know, you're having these conversations with them about their life and their future and what God wants. I mean, those are the most amazing moments, uh, you know, and, and then it disappears. Then it disappears. And, um, for Casey, that, that's what happened. You know, the love ran out and it was time to produce. And, and he was not, um, due to a lot of past demons, he was not able to produce at that point in, in his life. And Xenos doesn't have the ability to handle people that don't produce what they want to produce, right? Like I was able to produce and multiply myself, no problem. I was able to bring a ton of people around. I was able to disciple them. I was able to be successful according their, to their standards. Xenos does not know how to handle people who are in a place um, emotionally, mentally, physically, whatever, where they can do that. And they won't invest in them, you know? They're the low-hanging fruit, man. Why? Why Wouldn't you rather spend your time going after somebody who would be more effective long-term than this person who has an alcohol problem, um, this person who, you know, might relapse into drugs, this person who, you know, comes from a really bad childhood and that sort of thing? Like the very people that Jesus Christ hung out with, Xenos does not hang out with because their utility is not um, – is not the same as what they would think of as a more effective uh, instrument in God's hands. So, you know, and that was, that was what happened to Casey. And once the love ran out, um, his, uh, his walk with God, which was very fragile to begin with, you know, didn't have the lakes to stand and the wind blew it away. And I'll, I, I have no idea where he is now. He's dropped off the face of the earth and I will always think of that conversation I had with him and I'll always think of excommunicating him and what that did to his life um, so, and what so the rejection ex- from the church did. So he was excommunicated. So you, yeah. and that was something you had to do. Yes. We had to excommunicate him because of, of his drinking, right? We found out that he would go upstairs in the attic and he would drink and watch steel. He loved the Steelers football 
uh, team. So he would go up in the attic and he would drink and he would watch the Steelers play football. And, you know, we wanted, once again, I mean, you know, we're flipping kids. We, we were so ready to diagnose him as an alcoholic and, and for, for all intents and purposes, he may have been, but we never, we never sent him to get help. We never sent him to a professional. We never gave him any tools to work on that sort of thing. Um, it was basically like, you know, why have you been doing this? You need to repent. You need to grow your walk with God. You need to do X, Y, and Z. Why aren't you doing these things? Um, we were so ready to lay the hammer down because he wasn't producing what we thought he should be. Um, that we never, we never looked at him as a person, loved him for who he was and, uh, flaws and all understood the flaws and thought to ourselves, my God, maybe, maybe this issue was outside of our ability to, to deal with. Maybe we need to get professional help here. Um, Maybe we need to go with him to an AA meeting. Maybe we need to see if he can be officially diagnosed as having a dependency issue. Um, we, we never did. We never did. And, uh, you know, that's, that's one of the problems in the group is as leaders, we were also all too ready to look at things black and white to make split judgment decisions on literally where a person's heart was. We were making decisions on um, just the eternal nature of somebody's soul, right? Things that I look back on and just make me shudder, you know, that I'm deciding how this person feels. I'm deciding what this person's relationship is like with God, how deep it is, um, how convicted, how, uh, committed they are, right? Whether they're not in this for the law, like I'm, I'm weighing and evaluating things on an eternal nature. Right. No, nobody should ever be doing that. And if you are doing that, you should have just an abundance of humility and deference to the leading of the spirit um, and uh, not walk so blindly and callously through it. But, you know, that's 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 the problem. You know, when you're young and, and very naive and you're brought up too quickly and you're being asked things that, um you, you don't know what the eternal importance of them are. Right. You know, you make a lot of really poor decisions. And I think we did with him. I think we, we did with other people. We, uh, excommunicated, kicked out other people that we would quote unquote polarize other people that when they would show up, we would just, Hey, if this person shows up to a meeting, all we're to do is talk to them about their relationship with their girlfriend and whether or not they're going to break that up. All If this person shows up, all we're to do is talk to them about whether or not they've decided to come to school in Columbus, right? Those were the conversations. There, there was no room for mystery. There was no room for the leading of the spirit. We knew and were convinced um, and acted accordingly in the lives of tons of people, and, and it was very hard-handed and uh, callous and uh, way, way too confident, way too confident. Like, who are we to decide that somebody shouldn't go to Bowling Green? Who are we to tell somebody, and they, you know, that they should lose weight before they uh, teach because nobody will take them seriously? Who are we to tell people how to dress? Who are we to tell people that the person they're dating, they're not equally yoked to that person? Like, who are we to tell somebody that the fruits in their life 
don't amount to anything and we can't see the spirit of the Lord working through them. Like, who are we to tell people we, we know where their heart is before God. It's, it's insane to me, but that's what Xenos is. Xenos controls everything, everything from, you know, the, the weight that you carry on your body, they have uh, a special way that they dress, at least they did in the college group. They have certain vocations that are appropriate to spend your time uh, uh, investing in. They have certain places that are appropriate to get jobs at. They, have, they definitely have ideas of where you should live. They control who you date. They control... Um, whether you lead, whether you're successful there, whether you get a disciple. I mean, you could bring around a person and get ready to disciple them, and the leader of your group who hasn't brought around anybody ever could say, no, 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 I'll disciple him. I need a disciple. And take your quote-unquote fruit and ministry away from you. Um, but they control everything, you know, yeah. uh, d- down to just the minutest detail. And they don't see that. And they say, well, we never tell people that they shouldn't you know, that they should or shouldn't do these things. Well, yeah, you do. Yeah, you do. Because, you know, when when a kid goes to check out the college group, you pull everybody aside and say, hey, they're a flight, flight risk to go to another school out of state, and they can't do that because God clearly wants them here, right? So they decide where you go to school. They decide what you learn. Like I, you know, like I was telling you, there's a guy who had an engineering degree, uh, or was pursuing an engineering degree. That was too time intensive, right? God doesn't want you to do that. God wants you to invest in ministry. You're not going to be successful that way. You know, right. we put a lot of pressure on him. You know, there, every aspect of a person's life right. was not off limits. It was not private. E- even the married couples, how's your sex life? What are you doing? What are you not doing? Like there is no, there's no room for privacy. There's no room for an individual relationship with God. All of the convictions that you have, like say somebody wants to send money to the Red Cross or to be, you know, involved with United Way or to go down to a food pantry. No, 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 no. Like, have you thought about going to this ministry that Xenos is involved in? You know, so your convictions, the leading from your spirit, nope. No, that can be judged. Um, that can be open to discussion. And they, they will not, it does, they have no qualms about being involved in that person's life. Their finances, how much they tithe, absolutely not. Nothing is off limits. Uh, nothing is sacred and no room is, is given for the person themselves to stand before God individually and and do things according to the leading of the spirit in their life and according to their own convictions. And that's God, that's someday Xenos is going to answer for that. Because the oh, same absolutely. thing that made me think the same things that made me think this is not real, this is contrived, this is controlled, this is manipulated, this is a machine. The same things that made me feel that way are the things that they put in place. Who's on the decision continuum? How can we manipulate them into getting more con- committed? What's their personality like? Are they a phlegmatic, cleric, sanguine, or uh, I forget the other one? That's you the know, personality breaking, test that we were talking absolutely, about. Absolutely. Breaking right. people down to the viscosity of their blood. 
this this idea, this pseudo-psychological idea, is based upon manipulating, finding the best ways to manipulate and get what you want out of out of a person. Right. And oh yeah. my God, yeah. if I felt like things were fake there as a, just a kid, I guarantee you, people people even there uh, uh, there now are, are struggling with the same feeling. Sure, absolutely. And, you know, again, it stems back to the, the, the verse that I quoted at the start of our discussion in Second Timothy chapter 3, verses 5 through 7, where, where Paul's writing about uh, false teachers. He says, they have a form of godliness, but deny its power. Mm-hmm. And, and from such people were to turn away. Before he goes on to say, of this sort are those who creep into households. <laughs> house mm-hmm. churches, uh, ministry houses. I think of that when I when I hear that word, and they make captives of gullible women, and I think it's a, certainly a case for men as well, who are loaded down with their own sins, led away by various lusts, always learning, mm-hmm. always learning, and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. That's right. That's that's to me is Xenos in a heartbeat right there, and, and just a just a, a quick biblical snapshot. And I think that's yeah. something that we certainly need to you know keep bringing more light upon. And and uh, I really appreciate you spending time with us today. And and, and we're we're, we're, winding, we're wrapping it up here. But I want to ask you as, as as in a closing part here, uh, what might you say to those who are leading Xenos dwell, who I know are going to be listening to this, they're going to be analyzing. I'm sure. Uh, Everybody, what we're going to say is maybe the focus group somewhere, uh, probably behind closed doors. Uh, what would you say to those who are leading it, that are listening, about the ongoing Fuhrer? And what, what message would you like to send to them? And, and finally, what would you like to say to anyone who may still be there, who you remember, uh, mm-hmm. that you'd like to maybe just give a personal reverie to? Uh, uh, well, twofold. First, I would just issue a warning. I'd say be so careful because you do not know what you're doing. Right. I really believe that these people um, have a level of deception that's even clouded their own judgment. And I don't, I don't know and won't speak to where people's individual convictions are and whether or not this is a, a power trip or self aggrandizing or a Messiah complex that they're working out. But I would say to those people who do want to follow God, be so careful because what you're doing um, in the lives of other people around you um, is is uh, uh, so damaging. Ultimately, it is so unbelievably damaging. You know, you need to leave room for God. You need to leave room for the, the leading of the Spirit. You need to leave room for people to develop their own personal convictions. You need people to be able to develop their own faith and act that out. Um, they're not a cog in the machine. Um, they're not valuable because they've discipled five people and planted two home churches. They're not uh, useful to you because they're articulate and they can teach well. Um, these, these people are um, people that we all pray are, are have their names written in the book of life. And these are people that are loved by the all powerful God of the universe. And what you are doing with this, this machine in this uh, uh, systemic approach, this manipulative authoritarian approach to their life is um, builds a barrier between them and God. And 
Um, I just, I, I know that's not God's desire for them. And unfortunately, it creates a mass of people that um, when Dennis opines about um, people who decide not to go to the prayer meeting, but decide to do a cell group retreat, and he makes a joke about, why well, they did that without my green light. Um, man, like, there's no room there for them to be led by the Spirit, unfortunately. You know, and when you sit and you laugh in unison and mock people that are led by the Spirit, um, but just didn't do what you thought they should do, and they shirked the the home group's, you know, prayer group, and they went out and prayed in the woods instead, like, my God, you're limiting God, you're limiting his ability to lead people directly, and ultimately, you're limiting your impact on earth, and I just want, by their, like I said at the start of this, by their own admission, they have no light to the world, um, their their lamp stands covered up. God has taken the you know their ability to reach people, and, and even now you have Dennis saying, "Well, you know, it's a blessing that we haven't gotten you know notoriety from uh, that we haven't you know developed a big name for ourselves that we haven't you know been known on a uh, um, national level." And I'm thinking like <laughs> that's not a blessing from God. That's a, that's an indication that you're not successful. That's an indication that you're not being used. That's an indication that you don't have a church planting movement, that you haven't started a revolution, that you have, that God himself has not stood behind you, not in Columbus, not in Ohio, and, and definitely not in the nation. You know, that idea that we will grow exponentially, um, to, you know, from 2,500 to 5,000 to 7,000 to 25,000. Um, it, it never happened, Dennis. And you need to understand why it didn't happen right. and take that out and look at it. It's because all of your classes, all of your training, all of your, um, involvement in people's lives to the point where they don't have lives, um, has has affected God's desire to get in and get behind and bless your church. And that's why the attendance is the exact same level um, now that it was 20 years ago. You know, in the same way that they would come to me as a leader and say, well, where's your fruit? Let's put point that back on them. Where's your fruit, guys? Like you spent 20 years going to five meetings a week. You spent 20 years kicking out people, um, and having a revolving door where you bring in high schoolers, middle schoolers, college kids, and then kick out uh, disaffected, uh, jaded people that hate religion and hate God. Like, sooner or later, man, take a look at yourselves and, and uh, you know, and hopefully, you know, the uh, the delusion um, and the, the, the amount of just... Uh, yeah, ho- hopefully people will wake up, you know, and see that kind of stuff. And I believe I mean, they that's are. My, that's my prayer. 
Yeah, and, and I believe it's 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 uh, accelerating. I mean, I thank God for the work that has gone on way before I ever got here. Uh, people like Mark Mark Kennedy's website, xenosisocult.com, uh, and Katie's Redeker's new one uh, was Dwell Church, Dwell Community Church is a cult.com. I hope that's right. I, I it's still so. I think it is. <laughs> that's a hot mouthful. Hey, there's there's people coming forward. And, 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 mm-hmm. and the silence is breaking, and I, and I hope by all indications that uh, it's that the message is being made very clear to dwell. It's not going away. It's going to get a lot louder, and and the ride's going to get a lot more bumpier. And uh, as we've said, uh, we're uh, the Apostle Paul's warning us to turn away from such places where you can be bewitched and and led away, and and, and by leaders who. who to compel your lives to be led a certain way within mm-hmm. the context of, of households full of people that are just led astray and, and are turned into a part of a mechanism to manipulate you. I really hope and pray people start seeing that. And I think they have. And I, I, I think the fact that, uh, uh, we're able to see that, um, that it, that's being certainly noticed by, by the media more and, uh, that it's, it's encouraging. And this is before we even the documentary that we went for to get started hasn't even aired yet. Uh, we haven't even got that going yet. Uh, mm-hmm. So we're looking forward to that. And uh, we will certainly be hoping to get an update on that pretty soon. Uh, but again, I really want to thank you, Oliver, for, for the time. It's been a, uh, it's been a, a, a incredibly eye-opening thing to continually hear about. And uh, I want to thank you once again for, for the opportunity to share it. And, yeah. I, and I will... Uh, we'll, we'll be having you back. We have a special project we're working on, and uh, we'll, we'll tell you a little more about that in the next couple of episodes. But thank you once again yes. uh, for, for coming. I, absolutely. I appreciate it. And like I said, I mean, it's because of the work that you're doing, the work that some of these websites and the people that have created them, some of the support groups that have gone up. Um, it's It's because of that that I've been able in the past couple of years to actually – look back on address and start to move forward from That's a time great. in my life where I was just, like That's I said, great. very lonely, very depressed, very manipulated. Um, and, and ultimately I was very suicidal. So yeah. it's because of the, the work that people are doing that I don't have to block it out. I don't have to look back on it longingly. I don't have to make it into something it's not. I can look back on it as an adult in my involvement there, um, see it very clearly and objectively for what it was, address it, own up to it, and, and then move forward from it. So, right. yeah, that's that's what healing is. <laughs> that's it. And that's right. Because of what, what what you guys have done, I can look at that time in my life and and that's hopefully great. help other people to do the same. Yeah, I'm so glad to hear you say that. Uh, uh, I really am because that that's really what it's all about. You know, our our concern is to see people living, you know, you know, personal, uplifting, authentic, you know, Christian life. And we see so many spiritual counterfeits, uh, so many pretensive false teachers and leaders doing just the opposite. And uh, if if we can do something that helps pull that back in some way with someone's life and enable people to see a little brighter and, and, and to look up instead of looking always down, uh, then mm-hmm. we, we've done our job. And I, I appreciate that. Thank you so much. And, and we're going to keep at it. We're not, we're not stopping now. No matter what, what uh, goes on, we're, we're going to keep on pressing. And uh, we've only just begun, as the old song says. Thank you once again, Oliver. And I appreciate the time. 
Thanks for listening today as we explore just where are we going. Our prayer is that you have been encouraged and strengthened and, if necessary, challenged in your daily journey through life. Jesus is coming. You can fall with the night or you can rise with the sun. The choice is yours. You can email us with questions and comments at feedback at spiritwatch.org. And if you need urgent personal spiritual help, email us at help at spiritwatch.org. We look forward to hearing from you. Please follow our podcasting at our Facebook page and our website at spiritwatch.org. This podcast is a production of Spirit Watch Ministries, taking heed that no man deceives you.